0: As Mike was praying, I I felt prompted a question in my spirit that I felt like the Lord was asking me and asking us uh, together as a body this morning. So I just invite you to close your eyes and and I'm going to bring us to a place of, of listening to God's spirit together this morning. What I want you to honestly answer in your own heart, in your own spirit, in your own soul is... Is God allowed to change anything about you right now? So go ahead and ask that. Have you, have you given permission to the Lord to change whatever He wants to change right now? Not, not through my words, not, not through what I'm saying, through, through what God was saying. Because if God is God then what he says goes if he truly is who he reveals himself to be in scriptures in the scriptures then then whatever he says is true and whatever he says m- must be obeyed so what i just invite you to honestly wrestle with this morning is is there anything in my life that's off limits to god If there is, that is the path to death. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about where our spirits shrivel and God's word is not able to water and give life. So I would just invite each person to meet with the Lord for a moment and just say, there, <laughs> I would invite you to pray this, that there is nothing off limits in me. Anything that you say, God, that needs to shift or change, be healed, confessed, we invite you, Lord, to do that. And I certainly put myself in that place this morning knowing that there are many, many ways, God, that I need you to speak to my spirit and uh, to my soul. Many ways that I've taken control, that I actually need you. So we just invite your spirit this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, we're back in Acts, walking through the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 10 this morning, which is a a long chapter. And so what I typically do is I read the whole story, have everyone stand, and I read the story, and then we go back through it. Um, But this morning, I'm not going to do it because of the length of the scripture. And so rather, I'm going to give you a preview uh, of of the movie we're about to watch. And so um, here's, here's what's going to happen in Acts chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius, and Cornelius is a Roman officer and has some significant authority in in, uh, Caesarea, this this town in Israel. And Cornelius is said to be a God fearing man. He fears the Lord and he's devoted to the Lord. And an angel shows up when he's praying. And the angel says to him, Send for this guy named Simon Peter in Joppa. Go and talk to Simon, and uh, he'll tell you what to do. So there's no answers, it's just go find this guy Simon. So Cornelius sends three messengers to go find Peter. Meanwhile, as they're approaching the town, these three, uh, these three people who are sent to get Peter, as, this is, as they're coming up to the house where Peter is, Simon Peter is up on the roof praying. And as he's praying, he has a vision that repeats itself three times where God lowers a sheet like a blanket, and it's filled <laughs> It's filled with all types of foods that, according to Jewish law, were unclean, were not uh, permissible to eat, and if you ate them, they would make you unclean, which means you would have to go through the whole ceremonial process of being cleansed before you could worship, before you could sacrifice, before you could go to the temple. This happens three times. The first time, uh, the voice says, take this food, kill it, and eat it, and Peter says, no. I will not do such a thing. I will not make myself unclean. And then it repeats three times. And and the voice of God says, do not call unclean what God has called clean. So as the, the, the sheet of food is sucked back up into heaven, it says it was quickly pulled back up into the heavens. And Peter is pondering what this possibly means. The Spirit of God said to him, Peter, there's three men at the gate. Go with them and do not worry because I sent them. So then Peter goes down. And he finds, lo and behold, there's three men who are looking for him, and he goes with them, and they go back to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius tells of his vision, and Peter says this amazing thing, which is kind of the theme for the morning. He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. And then he begins to tell the story of Jesus and about how Jesus walked on earth and what He did. And right when he gets to the point where Peter, Peter's like favorite thing to say when he's preaching, and he repeats this over and over again, is whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As a repeated theme that that Peter says in Acts and throughout his writings, whoever calls on God's name will be saved. And just when he's getting to that point in his sermon in Cornelius' household, it says the Spirit of God fell on them. And they were all, this whole household, were filled with the Spirit. And it shocked Peter. It shocked. It was the last thing he was expecting to happen that these Gentiles, these unclean people, would receive the Spirit of God. And so then he looks to his Jewish companions and he says, how can we refuse baptism if they've been filled with the Spirit of God? The deeper thing. And so then they walk them through the waters of baptism. And this ushers in this whole new journey of the gospel going out to the nations. A journey of which you and I are a part of today. As we sit here. Because for the vast majority of us, I know this isn't true about everyone in this room, but for the vast majority of us, We are not Jewish, right? And yet, we have been included in the family of God. God has shown no favoritism, but has called all to his family, anyone who fears God, and does what's right. Invites them in. So this morning, as we're looking at this story and, and talking about different things... I want you to think about this and I want you to to think about this this week. What I would invite you to this week of our Thanksgiving week as you're taking time to give thanks as you're gathering with friends and family later as we take communion I would invite you into just a season of intentionally just thanking God for including you in His story. Thanking God for including you including me, including us in His family. If that can be your posture this week, you'll be in a really good place. As Jesus would say, blessed are those who are thankful. (laughs) Blessed are those who are thankful for what God has done for them. The other thing I want to note about this is it's amazing how intimately involved God is in Cornelius coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. From the angel to the revelation the, that, that Peter had, to um, the way the Spirit spoke to Peter, to the Spirit of God falling, I think many of us would desire a story like that, where it felt like God was so intimately involved, that there were angels, and there were visions, and there were all, all sorts of things like that. For many of us, our story hasn't been that spectacular, it, it feels like. But here, here's my challenge to us this morning, is that... I, I believe that God is as intimately involved and miraculously involved in each one of us coming into relationship with Jesus as he was involved in Cornelius' story. So that's another question I want you to ask this morning as we're looking at this story. How has God orchestrated all of the things that had to be in place for you to even come to a place where you were willing and hungry and open to the Lord, and that may be giving you the parents you had or experiences you've had, but every step of your journey, I believe with all my heart, has been orchestrated and intimately, God has been intimately involved in it. And so we need to remember that and recognize that and thank God for all the different pieces that he's brought in to allow us to to know him in the way way we do. Two stories from my life, um, and I I um, hesitate sharing these stories. I wouldn't, other than I feel like repeatedly this week the Lord has put them on my heart to share. So, so I'm going to share two stories from my life, um, not because I want you to see me, in fact, quite the opposite, um, but because I want us to look at the Lord together. So um, two stories, and I'll, I'll, let, I'll trust the Lord to speak to them. The first... Uh, was when I was about 10 years old, and my family was in the city of Cagayan de Oro on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines, in the southern Philippines. We lived in this little development, not like a development here, like a like a compound sort of thing, down a, down an old muddy dirt road, and there were huts around us and some cinder block houses, and um, and our house was there where we lived, and our next door neighbor. Um, this Filipino family, they were very poor. They didn't have electricity or running water. They just had a well in their front in their front yard. And they had 12 children. Um, and the youngest of their children was named Pablo. And for a season of my life, Pablo was my best friend. And Pablo was a couple years older than me. But he was the first and the deepest, richest relationship I made um, um, with another child in the Philippines. And so he was a couple years older than me. And his family was... Uh, was very typical of this area they were nominally Catholic, but in reality um, they were animistic and so they they um, went, they would go to mass sometimes and they would pray to certain saints and that sort of thing they would pray the rosary but the reality of their life was they were, they were animistic. So they believed that there were spirits in trees and spirits in rocks and in the the forest around us. So it was, a, it was a synchronism. It was a mixture of animism and Catholicism, which has happened in a lot of places on earth. So they were very, very superstitious. Had no relationship with Jesus um, in, in any kind of meaningful, intimate way. And so Pablo um, and I began to hang out and we would have fun together. He taught me how to spear fish and how to make slingshots and shoot mangoes out of trees, and all the fun things that you get to do as a kid. And one of the things that he taught me to do was to fight spiders, which sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Fighter spiding. That's like a favorite pastime of Filipino boys. You go off into the jungle. You take an empty matchbox with you. You go at night with a flashlight, and you find the biggest, most dangerous spider you can find. You put it in the matchbox... And then you go back to your friends, and you get a stick, and you put your spider on one end, and their spider on the other end, and then you let them fight to the death. And, and that's the sport that boys in the Philippines play. And so, I'm a boy, right? That's awesome. That's, that's amazing. As a, I mean, can you imagine anything better than a, than a, for a 10-year-old or 11-year-old? So, one evening... Uh, Pablo came over to my house. He used to have dinner with us. Things in his household were very broken. He would come over to our house every, every single night. My parents invited him over uh, to have dinner with us. And so he came over and he ate with us. And then we went off. We decided we were going to go catch spiders in the jungle. So we, we went out with our flashlights into the jungle um, behind where we lived. And as we were walking by his house, his mom was uttering incantations uh, over their garden. She was muttering these incant, spiritual incantations over their garden. And so I asked Pablo, what, what's she saying? What's she doing? And he's saying, well, he, she's calling for the spirits to bless the garden. And and so I started to ask him, well, what do you think? Do you think that's real? And he said, oh, yes, that's very real. That's, that's very real. And I, I began to, I felt prompted as a little boy, in my little boy way, to talk about Jesus. And, and so I was telling him, well, I don't believe that, I believe that all control. And, and I forget my exact words, but everything belongs to Jesus. He's the one who actually has power. And Pablo's like, no, 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 I don't believe that. So we're, we're going back into the jungle, and we're not finding anything. And typically you can find spiders everywhere. And we're not finding anything. We're back there for like an hour and a half, two hours, no spiders, not a single one. And I said, Pablo, and we're still talking this whole time, I said, Pablo, I'm going to pray that we find a spider. And I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And he's like, Okay. So I I said, Jesus, please show Pablo that you're real by letting us find an amazing spider. And I shine my light, and I kid you not, there's this incredible spider on the leaf in the midst of this dark jungle that I point my flashlight on. Pablo, like, lost his mind. What? What? Just like he, he couldn 't believe it, and i i, I couldn 't believe it I was like, what <laughs> you know you like pray those things half expecting like but in my faith as a child, and this is probably not how I would do evangelism today, um but as an eleven year old boy that 's what I knew, and that's that 's the level of relationship I had with the Lord. I was being faithful to where I was, developmentally with the Lord and with Pablo, and so we we get the spider and we go back to my house, and Pablo's just like he, he's just like shaking and freaked out. And so my, my dad sits down with him and they begin to talk and Pablo's just like weeping and ends up accepting the Lord. Amazing story. Incredible. Beautiful. And, and I don't know where Pablo is today. We've lost, we've lost uh, communication over the decades since then. Um, but I pray for him all the time, this, this guy. And I pray that those, those seeds that were planted <laughs> through such a simple, silly little thing that, that they would take deep root in his life, and he would still walk with Jesus uh, today. The, the second story was when I was a freshman in college. Um, I was at, uh, Julie and I went to um, Columbia International University, a Bible college in uh, South Carolina, and I had to take an evangelism class, and the homework for the evangelism class was to do evangelism. So we had different choices. We could go to a prison or we could uh, go door to door, that kind of thing, um, but I chose to go to a local military base uh, that was there in Colombia, and they had a little cafe where they would offer coffee and snacks to the soldiers on Wednesday evenings, and they could come and, and it was really cheesy, really bad, like they would do like like little kids' puppet shows for these adult soldiers. <laughs> and it was just like really like a little cheesy, a little outdated, and that kind of thing. but the same soldiers would show up. Every week. And there was a group of Wiccans um, that, that were Wiccan um, that would come to this thing every Wednesday evening. And they were soldiers, they were privates uh, in the army, but they, they were functionally Wiccans. So they, they if, are you familiar with Wiccanism? They, they considered themselves uh, witches and uh, all that stuff. They were in the, into all of that. And so um, I began to hang out with these guys every week and develop a relationship with them. And one of them was, like, really, like, open to talking about stuff. And I won't use his real name. I'll, I'll call him Billy Bob. So Billy Bob was really, really interested in, in just talking about He wanted to tell me all about Wiccanism and all about that. Like, he had this, like, sort of fetish with, um, with uh, uh, what's the Disney uh, fairy? Tinkerbell. He had Tinkerbell on everything. <coughs> It was bizarre, like on his car, on his backpack, on his shoes. Like, it's just really, really weird. And, um, and so I began to develop a, a relationship with this young man. And I went, I went back to St. Louis for spring break that year. And so I was gone for a week, and it was in the midst of me building this relationship. And, and I was sleeping in my parents' uh, basement. They had moved to a new house. They didn't have a bedroom for me anymore. Um, and so I was sleeping just on a couch in their basement. And I closed my eyes, and as real as I'm seeing you today, the room began to fill with green smoke, this thick green smoke, and it freaked me out, like you can imagine. And I opened my eyes, and it was still there, and my hair stood on end, on the back of my neck, all down my arms, and I began to shake, and I began praying, Jesus, like, what is going on? What is going on? And I, and I, I saw this young man's face. Um, I saw, I saw his face before me, and, I, and so I began to pray for him. And I closed my eyes again, and there was a bloody knife in front of my, my eyes, dripping blood. And it was, like, shocking. I opened my eyes again, and I closed my eyes a second time, and it was this young man had jumped off a bridge with a noose around his neck and was writhing. I, and I opened my eyes again, and I just got down on my knees and started praying over him, praying whatever's going on, God, like meet him where he's at, whatever's happening, touch him, be with him, save him, protect him, uh, let him know your love, let him out of this terrible cycle of witchcraft that he's actively seeking. And then I closed my eyes a fourth time and I saw him running through the woods. Of, of, it, was a, it was all pine. I saw him running through the woods, and he fell down on his knees and began to weep, just weeping and weeping and weeping on this on this bed of pine needles, and that was it. So, what do you do with that? Because then, like, it all disappeared, and and it was all just normal, and my heart's racing, and I'm praying for him, but what do you do with that? So, I'm asking the Lord, like, is when I go back, am I supposed to share this with him, or is this just for me to pray? Like, what is, and I wrestled that. I told my parents about it, and they were like, we don't have anything for, it. like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to do with that, other than pray. I mean, they encouraged me to pray, and, and so I, I continued praying. So I went back to school, and all week I was just, man, I couldn't sleep because I, 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 I knew I was going to see him. And, like, was I supposed to tell this to him, or was it just for me? I just, I I didn't have rest one way or the other. I told this guy who was teaching the evangelism class, and it really, he was like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with that. Like, I I don't know what to tell, like, that whole experience, I'm, like, that's, I don't know if that's legit or not. Like, I think he was, like, really concerned for me. And, and I'm like, well, thank you, that's a lot of help It's my college professor. Um, So... That day when we went back, that, that following Wednesday, I just made a decision. I'm going to tell him. Like, I, think, I think the Lord wants me to tell him uh, about this thing. So we sit down at the table, and I'm like, how do I even get there? Like, How do I work this in? Hey, by the way. Um, and so I just went for it, and there's this whole group of people sitting at this table, and I'm like, i got to tell you guys about this experience I had. And so I I walked him through the whole thing, the four things I had seen, the way it had been so intense and, like, scary and and all all of this stuff. And when I got to the scene of this young man running through the woods, through the pine needles, and I started telling about that, he started weeping, just like in the dream. And he said, this past week, I I was my parents, uh, I don't have a good relationship with my parents. I was raised by my grandfather, and he died this last week. And his funeral, I I had to run out of his funeral because he's the one person that I felt like loves me. And I I had to run out of his funeral, and there was woods behind the funeral home, and it was woods of pine needles. And I fell on the ground weeping, and I was about to take my life. So I saw him. I saw him in that forest. I was like, I don't know what to tell you other than God loves you, man. God loves you. And he took a, took a Bible from me, and again, he's another person I've lost track I have no idea where he is today. We began meeting weekly after that, outside of that time, and he began bringing other Wiccan friends to meet me and talk to me <coughs> and, and to, to pray together and talk about Jesus. I have no idea why the Lord wants me to share this story, but it's that similar feeling where like I I really feel like he wanted me to share those two stories this week. So I'm going to trust his spirit to do what his spirit does to apply that in whatever way he wants to in your life. God is intimately involved in people's lives today as he's ever been. And he is as passionate about his sons and daughters coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as he was for Cornelius or he was for Peter or for any of the disciples or for Saul. Think of how involved he was in the story of Saul. So God, I just invite you to take those stories, build faith in us. It's it's actually healthy for me to remember those and remember because sometimes I still doubt (laughs) despite Despite experiences like that, I still doubt that you're going to work in someone's life, you're going to show up, and how foolish of me. Um, God, I, I, I just give that to you. I thank you. I thank you for uh, each of those young men that I talked about and would pray that even today they would be walking with you and know you and feel your presence right now, um, wherever they're at, God. All right, we're going to go through this fast. Acts 10, in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. It's about 600 men that Cornelius had authority over. Your translation might have it as Italian cohort. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Now, the, the description. notice the description of Cornelius. He's devout, devoted. This is the theme for Luke. In, in the book of Acts, that they would be devoted people. The people of God are to be devoted specifically to prayer, God-fearing man. So this is a Gentile. Um, he would have in a younger, uh, another before he was in Israel. He would have worshipped uh, other gods, and he comes to Israel and he learns about this one true God, Yahweh. And there's something about Yahweh that captivates his spirit, even though it's counterintuitive for a conquering a soldier to worship the God of a conquered people. Think about that. If their God was truly powerful, then you wouldn't have been conquered by us, right? This is the logic over and over again in the Old Testament. But this man is apparently very spiritually astute, and even though he's part of this conquering army in this conquered land, he meets this God, he hears about this God, and there's something about Yahweh that captures his soul. And it says he was a God-fearing man. The, the theme of fear shows, out, shows up throughout the entire scriptures. We are to be a people who fear God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, wisdom in Proverbs is synonymous with worship. They're synonymous. Wisdom and worship are synonymous. They're, they're, they're the same thing in Proverbs. So, fear of the Lord is the beginning of true worship. Think about in Proverbs in the Psalms where it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no... God. That's what the fool says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of true wisdom. This is not a fear uh, of a, a, uh, a dictator. This is not a fear like the North Korean people have of their great leader, right? This is not that kind of fear. This is a reverent fear for a perfect and loving father. Everything that we are afraid of, we worship. This is why God is jealous of our fear. Whatever you're afraid of, you will worship. If you're afraid of money, guess what you'll worship? Money. Because what will you spend your time thinking about? What will you spend your time pursuing? What will you be devoted to? Money. Ebenezer Scrooge. Ever heard of him? This man who had so much money, this great fictional character, he's afraid of the very thing this thing that he longs for and loves and he hates it and it owns him and he's unable to be generous and he's unable to live a healthy life because he fears this thing even though he has it and so he's afraid of it and so he worships it and so it controls him and dominates him. This is how it works whenever we fear anything other than God. The thing that we fear says to us, you should be afraid. So when you fear a human leader in the flesh the human leader will say to you, good, you should be afraid. When we fear money, money, the mammon, the spirit of mammon, the demonic force behind mammon, that in which we trust, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our sermon on Acts chapter 5. When we fear Ammon, mammon, guess what mammon says to us? You should be afraid. You should be afraid. So the things that we're afraid of, we worship, which is why God says to us, fear me, over and over and over again. Because when we fear God, when we give Him our reverence, our attention, our devotion, and our awe, do you know what He says to us, unlike anything else? Do not be afraid. He's the only one who says, don't be afraid when we fear Him. Everyone else says, good, you should fear me. God alone says, do not be afraid. Have I not told you, be strong and courageous? There's this repeated theme in the book of Matthew. Every time the disciples feel afraid, Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Now, when you're in a car and you see, uh, you see another car about to T-bone you and you feel a moment of fear, right? A fe- feel of terror. I'm not saying you're worshiping that car because it's going to hit you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you let fear dominate your life, your focus will go towards that thing rather than towards God, and you will give your devotion to that thing. And so when we fear the Lord, what we do is, oh my goodness, God, there's this terrible situation that I'm afraid of. A lack of finances, a lack of health, a lack of relationship, whatever. I'm afraid of this thing. And then you take it. Paul says, hold every thought captive. You look at it. I'm afraid of this thing. Jesus tells me not to be afraid. I'm afraid of this thing. Jesus tells me not to be afraid. God, I'm afraid of this thing. But I choose to fear you. And when we give that fear to God, recognizing very honestly that I'm afraid of this thing, but I submit it to you knowing that all fear belongs to you, God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. That doesn't mean that suffering or pain isn't a part of our journey. It certainly is. What it means is that he holds your soul your spirit in the palm of his hands, like a father holding his newborn child. A father's not going to drop that child. The father's going to hold and cradle and make sure, and that's how God holds our souls. And so Cornelius is a God-fearing man. As soon as the angel, verse 7, was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, He told him what had happened, and he sends him to Joppa. While this is happening, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat of the roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners, and in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord. He thinks it's a test. No, Lord, and he's going to pass. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws had declared impure and unclean. I think it's so funny how many times God uses sets of three in Peter's life. Three denials. Three times Jesus restores him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times this vision repeats itself. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God made it clean. And so this repeats itself. Peter is very perplexed. He's confused. What does this mean? Just then men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house and standing outside the gate they asked if a man named Simon Peter was there. Just a quick thing. There's a difference between ritualistic and ceremonial laws in the Old Testament and moral laws. Jesus ended the ritualistic ceremonial laws but he fulfills the moral laws and actually forces them greater than they were uh, believed to be in the Old Testament. This is why he says I have not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. The ceremonial laws that have to do with food, clothing, sacrificial law, etc., were ended when Christ came and opened up the gospel to all people of all nations. The moral laws, however, have not ended. And the moral laws are about how we treat one another and how we treat God. Those laws continue on. This is why in Leviticus where it says you, shall, you should not eat shellfish, and it also says don't practice incest, the law of shellfish ends the law of incest, which is a moral law, not a ceremonial law, continues. Make sense? Okay. Some people choose to argue for certain things uh, not being the case anymore because the, the food law was ended. That's not the case. Jesus ended the ceremonial laws, not the moral law. The moral law continues. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. And so Peter goes with them. I want to skip ahead to his, uh, his sermon. Let's go down to verse 28. Peter has arrived. And he says to them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Let's learn from this. Whoever you think is unclean or impure, or I think is unclean or impure in my flesh, God has shown us to no longer look at them like that. No matter what culture they're from, what their food smells like, right? Like, I had a bunch of German friends growing up, and they never wore deodorant. And they always stank, like, just smelled really bad. We're we're not to look at other people and judge them by their cultural differences than us. We're to love them. As brothers and sisters what well, God has made clean. God has shown me Peter says that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection. Cornelius replied 4 days ago, I was praying. In my house, about this same time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the boar have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And these are the two descriptions of Cornelius. He was a God-fearing man who gave generously to the poor, doing what's right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. (laughs) They put him to death by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear not to the general public... But to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as Peter is saying this statement, whoever calls upon the name, he doesn't do an altar call. All right, Cornelius and all your household and all your friends, come on down to the front and kneel down. There's nothing wrong with altar calls. This is, but this is not how God works in this situation. He's saying he doesn't even get to that call personally. He's just speaking generally about whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Amazing story. Amazing story. Incredibly intimate involvement, miraculous involvement by God. But listen to this. Ask yourself this question. Think back to your own story with Jesus. How intimately has God involved himself in your own journey? How perfectly did he line up each person each experience and each word that led you to Him. We're going to go into a time of communion now where we take the bread and the cup together. And I want you to think about this as as sort of the lead into communion this morning. Think about the ways that God lined up all the things that have happened in your life so that you might know Jesus as you know Him as Lord and Savior. At Parker Ford, how we take the elements is um, we have deacons serve the bread and the cup on either side. We do have gluten-free um, wafers available if that's a health need that you have. And so what you'll do is you'll come up through the middle aisles and receive the elements and then go back to your seats. You can take the elements up front. You can take them at your seat. This is at your own pace. No one will dismiss you. If you're visiting with us today, if you typically partake of the elements of whatever church you're coming from, we welcome you uh, to join us this morning. We would just ask that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because this is the act uh, of worship for those of us who have believed in Christ for salvation. And so if you're not sure where you're, where you're at in that journey, if, you're, if you don't know the Lord that way, then I would, I would ask you to abstain until you first make that step of faith where you invite the Lord to be, uh, to be your Lord and Savior. The other thing, we say this each time, if you're carrying an offense towards a brother or a sister, then also we would ask that you abstain until you make that, that, that offense right. Because as the Lord has forgiven us, we are to forgive one another. Communion puts us between a rock and a hard place because if we're going to take it, it's the most intimate, wonderful way that the body of Christ comes together to worship the Lord. And that's beautiful but we have to do so laying down our pride, laying down our anger and our hurt and saying, because you've forgiven me, I forgive, I forgive my brother and sister or whoever, whoever you're carrying offense towards. I'm going to pray and just invite the Lord to lead us. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. Sing, sit, kneel, pray, whatever, whatever the Spirit of God is inviting, whatever posture the Spirit of God is inviting you to take as we take the elements. God, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You for this Gospel message that was the same when Peter preached it that day as it is today, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever experiences salvation, is filled with the Holy Spirit. So we just invite Your Spirit to fill us as Your children. We pray for those who don't know You, Lord, in that intimate way that they would have a touch from You this morning. I pray that You would build faith in this place, God and that we would walk in obedience to you. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your life and your resurrection. When we take the bread, we believe that this is the body of Christ. This is a representation of the body of Christ broken on our behalf. And when we drink of the cup, we believe that this is the shed blood of Jesus poured out for us. This is a precious offering to God that Jesus Christ offered on our behalf that we might be reconciled and adopted. Into his family. We thank you for this, Father. We thank you for this, Jesus. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray this in your name.